This is Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and UConn Health Orthopedic and Sports Medicine. Healthy Rounds provides general information regarding medical conditions and diseases. The information is not intended to create a doctor-patient relationship. You are encouraged to consult your own medical provider for advice that applies to your own medical care. And now, Dr. Anthony Alessi on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com. Welcome to Healthy Rounds, the show that provides you with up-to-date medical information and we answer all of your health questions. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and it's great to be with you for this 52nd consecutive program in which we are trying to tackle the COVID-19 pandemic. A lot of recent changes in the past week that we're going to talk about. Pediatric vaccination, right? So children from 12 and up can now be vaccinated. And also the big change with diminished requirements in certain circumstances for using a mask. I'm also looking forward to our guest today. Uh, Our guest is going to be Ms. Lori St. John. Uh, She is the vice president of Hartford Healthcare Community Network. Basically, these are the people who oversee home care. And this is a field that's changed a great deal. I remember growing up, we'd see commercials for the visiting nurse service and, you know, home care from that standpoint. Well, it's changed a lot, and it's changed a lot since the pandemic. So I'm looking forward to my conversation with her later in the program. Before we get started, we always like to look at the scorecard, right? The scorecard being, where are we in this pandemic? Well, I'm happy to report the positivity rate. So the percentage of tests that are positive in the state of Connecticut is now down to 1.12%. That is a tremendous. Don't forget, A few weeks ago, we were over 3%. There are times when we've been much higher. So we've really gotten that percentage of positivity down. The reason for that is more people being vaccinated. Over 70% of the Connecticut population has now received at least one dose of the vaccine, and 43% are fully vaccinated. Unfortunately, there were five new deaths here in Connecticut uh, yesterday when our total is now 8,173 deaths. Now, when we look at the country as a whole, and it's important to really look at everything here, we have 155 million Americans have received one dose. That's 46.8%. But we have to remember, that we are dealing with a total of 597,000 people who have lost their lives as a complication of COVID-19. So the scorecard is getting better. We're moving in the right direction. But the problem becomes it's different regionally. And we're beginning to travel now, right? The summer's here. People want to take trips. So you have to do your homework. You have to find out where you're going, what the requirements are, and how well have they done in terms of the pandemic? How well, what is their positivity rate in that state? How many of those folks have been vaccinated? And that may affect your decision as to whether you'll go or even what you'll do when you get there. 
So when we get back to this, one of the questions I've been getting is, why do we still need to do testing if now we have vaccination? And it goes back to our original attack here. Our plan of attack has always been in public health, whenever you're dealing with an epidemic or a pandemic, it is identification, isolation, contact tracing. Identification, doing sufficient testing. This is where we didn't get off the mark. If you'll remember, in February, March 2020, no tests available. Despite what we we're being told, there were no tests available. Now we have tests available. So there are really three phases to testing that we have to keep in mind. There more like three reasons. First is diagnostic testing. These are people who present with symptoms. So someone goes to the doctor, goes to the hospital. They have fever, cough, chills, flu-like symptoms, could be covid you do a COVID test. That's a diagnostic test. The next are the screening tests. Now, these are the tests we're going to be doing, and we do now, to find out who has a positive result from the standpoint of attending an event. So, for example, when I'm working at Mohegan Sun, uh, we're required to be tested within 72 hours of the event. People have to be tested before they enter a bubble for a sporting event, such as what's going on now at Mohegan Sun. They're having the uh, Basketball Hall of Fame induction ceremony. There are approximately 2,500 people in that bubble. So they had to be tested before they got in and tested periodically within that. So those are the screening tests. The third type of testing is the surveillance testing. Now, this is what they do from an academic standpoint to get an idea of where the virus is around the country. So they're random tests that are being performed on people in the population of different ages as a way of researching where the virus is most active. So in summary, we're still going to be testing. The vaccine doesn't really obviate the need for that. One of the things we're hearing a lot about in the news are people who have been adequately vaccinated now getting COVID-19. Uh, one of the people, Bill Maher, was uh, one of the folks in the press, I guess, yesterday. And, and there have been several other situations. So there's a lot to be said here first place, we know that the vaccine protects 95% of the time. It's a great vaccine as compared to the flu vaccine, which is about 60% of the time. So you always have a 5% chance of contracting COVID-19. The key part of that is in those 5% of people and in all of the cases that were reported, at least in the press, no one was sick. Not one person was sick. They had to be quarantined so that they didn't spread the virus because there's always that fear that you will be able to spread it. So it's the virus showed up either in their nasal passages or in saliva, and they had to be quarantined. The other issue from that standpoint is it also tells us 
that there are variants out there. And we don't necessarily have full protection of these variants. England is particularly worried because they have had a lot of variants coming out of India. So the more a virus spreads, the more that contagion, the higher that positivity rate, that virus is now mutating and creating another variant. Our good fortune is that the vaccines we have are protecting us from those variants thus far. It also impresses upon us the need for this to be a global effort. This is not a situation where just because we clear this up in the state of Connecticut, where we have stellar results, we're leading the country in the amount of vaccines being given, it doesn't help us because we are not an island here. So the same way our country is not. So we really have to support the global effort of getting vaccine to folks who need it. But overall, very encouraged by the progress being made and the vaccines being administered. We're going to take a short break, and then we're going to be back to talk a little bit more about the mask guidelines and all the quest folks have about that. We're also going to be talking about vaccinating children. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And in this segment, we're talking a little bit about the new guidelines regarding the use of masks and their requirements. And I think it took a lot of us by surprise that uh, these guidelines would change so radically. But honestly, there is really good support for this. And a lot of this support, a lot of these studies come from Israel. Don't forget, Israel was really probably the first country uh, to have a high level of vaccination. And they had agreed to participate in a lot of the studies being done. So the feeling is now that if you have been adequately vaccinated, you not only have a 95% chance of not contracting COVID-19, but even if you get it, you cannot spread it and would not be symptomatic from it. So with that information, that really changes the playing field regarding the use of masks. Now, it's confusing. And the reason it's all confusing is because it has to be different and different approaches in different states, depending on what we said about positivity rates and the behavior of the community itself. So it does become a difficult situation because it's not a blanket. It's not like, okay, the entire country doesn't have to wear a mask anymore. The other struggle is that several major chains uh, in terms of retail, such as CVS, Home Depot, Macy's, uh, they're going to still require masks until they have gotten a feel for how this is developing and what changes there are. Whereas Walmart has said no masks are required. 
So this really creates some confusion. Here's what you also have to know. No matter what the rule is, in a healthcare setting, so if you're in a hospital, nursing home, doctor's office, clinic, you have to wear a mask. Mask will still be required on planes, buses, trains, and all public transportation. And everyone has to abide by whatever the local mandates are. So you really have to be familiar with this. And, and to be honest with you, we've kind of gotten used to the masks. I don't find it that much of an impediment anymore. Uh, a matter of fact, uh, I bumped into a fellow. Uh, we were waiting for something, and we struck up a conversation, and uh, he's an endodontist in, in private practice. So we started talking about uh, using PPE now and how it's changed things. Uh, for example, I, I used to wear a shirt and tie every day at work and a lab coat to see patients, and now I'm wearing scrubs, as was he. Uh, and he made an interesting comment. He said, you know, the PPE hasn't been a real problem. In fact, even when this is all over, I'm going to continue using an N95 mask and a shield when I'm working on patients because uh, I feel more protected and the patients feel that I'm protecting them to some degree. And I thought that was an interesting situation because I've said this before. I don't I don't see myself getting on an airplane or on public transportation in the future without wearing a mask. It just I just don't see it happening. You know, we've always seen some people wear masks on planes and, and didn't quite understand what it was about. But I think uh, we're learning that. The other thing we have to understand about masks is we still have young children who are not eligible for vaccination yet. Right. So we're only have people eligible, children eligible from 12 and up. So we have to be vigilant that these children don't become ill. A friend of mine recently had a situation where her daughter only received one vaccination and she works uh, for a retail company. She became ill and spread it to her son, who's a toddler. And they both became quite ill uh, to the point where uh, she had to get care in the emergency department. So, again, it, it really makes us understand that we have to protect our children right now. And it's hard to tell a child they have to wear a mask when you're not wearing a mask. We have to lead by example. But this is also going to have a lot of implications when school starts. Um, so we really have to look at that. Another question that keeps coming up is, okay, who's going to enforce this? Who is going to be the mask police? And I don't think we necessarily need a mask police. Because what we also know, so we talked about if you wear a mask or if you are vaccinated, not wearing a mask, you have a small chance of getting infected. You will not spread the virus to others. And if you did get infected, you wouldn't be very ill. On the other hand, if you have not been vaccinated, you stand a much greater chance of contracting COVID-19 spreading COVID-19, and becoming ill yourself. 
So the next question becomes, what are we doing about people who cannot be vaccinated? And among these being young children, they will be vulnerable to the people who have not been vaccinated. And that's why it's so important that people become vaccinated. It's also interesting. I talk to patients all the time and I ask right away, have you been vaccinated? And it's interesting the answer you get. So some people will say, no, I haven't been yet. But what do you think of this or what do you think of that? And they'll ask intelligent questions about this. Um, you know, what are the chances I'll become ill or, or something of that nature? So it's interesting because the antithesis of that are when you ask somebody, have you been vaccinated? And they immediately take a posture. No, and I'm not going to be. One patient actually told me, he said, not until somebody explains the nanotechnology that's being injected into me to track me. So with that argument, I don't even I don't even persist in in trying to have a discussion because it's obviously an entrenched position. Those are not vaccine hesitant people. Those are vaccine defiant people. So it's interesting how that that's all developed. One thing I want to talk about today, too, May 15th uh, is the feast of St. Dymphna. St. Dymphna was actually uh, an Irish uh, saint, uh, and she is the patron saint of people who are mentally disabled. And it's very interesting, although she was born in Ireland and raised in Ireland, she became the, the patriarch of in the patriarch of people who are mentally ill in Belgium. And it's there that she became the patriarch of a tradition of treating very humanely and starting community-based treatment for the mentally ill in the Middle Ages. Now, we hear this term all the time in healthcare, community-based. Well, we hear it in a lot of ways. So it's interesting that back in the Middle Ages, she had this idea of treating mentally ill in their own community with whatever treatments were available. And it's something we have to keep in mind, not just for the mentally ill. It's a concept that applies to all illness, to violence, and to weapons. You know, people are always running around, well, uh, you know, the police this, the police that. You know, the police should be a last resort. There was an interesting podcast I listened to this week that talked about gun violence. And we've talked about it on this program. I mean, let's face it, in one week we had, right, two weeks ago, we in one week we had nine mass shootings. Okay, so these mass violent events are going on. Is it all about guns? Well, it's a big part of it, but part of this is that there is no community leadership. I often think, even with the George Floyd situation, you know, if the police were the last resort, if there was some community leader who knew George Floyd, to say, just take him aside, okay, and, and try to straighten out the situation and try to work with somebody in your community. So community leaders don't have to be activists. They don't have to be protesters. 
but community leaders are what we need in order to keep control of behavior and what goes on in communities, especially with respect to illness and health. And it all comes back to right now, our biggest threat is a pandemic, and we have to get leaders out there to lead the way and get people to get vaccinated and use masks where appropriate. We're going to take a short break. Now we're going to be back with my guest, Ms. Lori St. John. She's the vice president of Hartford Healthcare Community Network. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi. And the field of home care has changed dramatically um, over, I would say, the last 20 years. Um, But more importantly, there have been a lot of changes since the COVID pandemic. My guest in this segment is Ms. Lori St. John. Um, She is the vice president for Hartford Healthcare Community Network. And it gives me great pleasure to bring her on um, to really talk to us a little bit about the changes in home care. Uh, Lori, welcome to the show. Thank you. So let's start right from the beginning. What is um, Hartford Healthcare at home? What, What are we talking about in terms of home care now? Well, Hartford Healthcare at Home, we've been in business for over 100 years. We started in um, 1901, so we've been in business for a very long time. Um, We are the largest home care agency in Connecticut, second largest in New England. And we have about 4,000 patients on our service that we care for every day. Um, We have therapy, we have nursing, we have telehealth. um, So we have the full... Um, array of any service you would need for healthcare in the home. So, four thousand patients. Uh, what, what region do you cover? So obviously, it's not just Hartford. Oh no, 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 no. We cover the entire state of Connecticut. Um, there are ten towns in the western part of the state we don't cover. So you know, pretty much the whole state of Connecticut. Um, in, in terms of personnel, so what type of people are part of your organization? I hear a lot about people um, who are personal care assistants, CNAs, nurses. What, what type of staff do you have um, that go out into the home? I, I remember as a child uh, always saying, you know, they had the visiting nurse service, um, and, and that was the only thing I ever thought they had. I don't even know if that still exists. Yeah, actually, we, you know, we're the original visiting nurse service in Connecticut. Um, So, and now we have, you know, certainly we have become much larger, much more sophisticated, um, but we still go into the home. Our clinicians go into the home. So we have uh, about 400 nurses uh, throughout the state that go into the home, about 300 therapists, and that's occupational, physical therapists, speech therapists. And we do have aides that go into the home as well. And we have um, an arm of our division that is called Independence at Home. And that's private pay, where you would pay for um, an aide to come from anywhere from two to three hours a day for help to live in care. So, again, we have a full range of services. Um, And under our skilled side or our Medicare side, we call it, Um, And it's not just Medicare, it's our insurance side where patients need skilled service. We have um, 
cardiac care. We have uh, we have a joint, very active joint program where we see patients who've just had their joints removed. We have wound care. So, and again, we have uh, telehealth, which has really expanded during COVID. Um, so one of my questions, I guess the independence at home segment must be rapidly expanding uh, because so many people, I mean, let's face it, people would rather stay at home uh, rather than move to a facility and may not need a lot of care. Is that a big segment of what you do? Oh, it is. And we did see growth um, both during COVID and after COVID, both in our skilled home care side um, and in the independence at home because people would rather be in their home. Um, so we we have seen gr- growth in both areas. Are your patients generally short-term patients, or are you taking care of the same people for years? Um, you know, how does that work out? Well, at Hartford Healthcare Home, we see generally see uh, more acutely ill patients. So while we do have patients on some for several years that are chronically ill with problems like um, congestive heart failure or COPD. Uh, we mainly see patients who are having an acute episode. So we see them, hopefully they get better, and then we will be discharged or transitioning them to a different kind of care. Um, independence at home, they tend to have people on for years and years. Uh, they have, again, both live-in people. They have people who just require um, a couple hours of care. And sometimes they start with a few hours, and that just grows into more care. But those people tend to be on for a much longer time. So you have people who actually move in and live with the client? Yes, we do. We have um, many live-in caregivers that actually live throughout the state that live with their clients. And those are private pay, you said, though? Those are all private pay, correct. Um, Does Medicare generally support a lot of home services? Because I would think that that's a a large segment of your population is uh, Medicare. Um, Are they generally supportive of home care or do they prefer to put people into a, a, a SNF or uh, an in-pay rehab setting? Well, Medicare and, you know, uh, managed Medicare, we're seeing a rise in managed Medicare, um, does pay for most of our services. During when we started rolling out the homebound vaccines, um, I think we have probably 3,000, maybe even 3,500 3, of our patients are over the age of 65. So that would be Medicare age. And Medicare pays for any skilled service in the home, um, but the patient must be homebound according to Medicare um, guidelines. And that's that, you know, they're not going to work. They're not driving. Um, You know, certainly they can go to church. They can get their hair cut, but they are homebound during that period of time where we're caring for them. When we think of short term, uh, you know, I still remember when people went in and had a hip replaced or a knee replaced, uh, they had to go to an inpatient rehab setting. But we're seeing less of that now. Um, Has orthopedics been a big part of your segment there and people you're taking care of? Yes, we're seeing a lot of total joints, the baby boomers. Um, and you're right, people used to, it was expected that they would go to a skilled nursing facility after they had surgery. Now that's, you know, um, not common at all. Normally they go home, they have some um, therapy for a couple, maybe just a couple of weeks at home, and then we transition them to outpatient therapy. 
I, I, this is a little bit off topic, but are you find since you work so closely with this segment of the population, are you finding more people to become more aware of the fact that there's a time where you have to transition your home setting? And I'll tell you where I'm coming from. A lot of my patients sometimes discharge, they'll have to go to a skilled facility because there's steps at home or because mm -hmm. it's a, it's an old Victorian house or it's a house where it really is difficult for an individual to manage. Are you finding more people being attuned to that and being proactive and moving uh, to a new home, uh, not necessarily a facility, but a new home where everything's on one floor or there are elevators and it's easy getting in and out. Have you found that? I mean, I think it's an individual choice. Uh, many of our um, patients and seniors do move to assisted living, which is typically um, more handicap accessible. So, you know, they can age in place in those assisted livings. But, you know, I would say probably uh, the majority of people that we see are in their home. Um, and oftentimes that does have stairs and other things that we help them navigate. Um, so it's a bit of a mix, but I have to say the majority are still in their homes. Can you talk a little bit about what is assisted living? I, I think that people, you know, we, we understand it, but uh, can you explain what uh, the assisted living environment is like for people? Yes. Well, um, assisted living, it's really your home. It's you live independently in your home, but they do provide additional services. You get can get meals. Um, they do have some help with um, uh, if you needed um, help with bathing or things like that. You can have that in assisted living. Um, we have several assisted livings in our Hartford Healthcare system, which were which are great. Um, and people generally live pretty independently, but they can you know, have these services as well. Uh, you just told me something that I didn't know, and that was that Hartford HealthCare has assisted living facilities within the system? Yes, yep. Cedar Mountain Commons um, in Newington is a beautiful facility. Um, we have um, the Orchards in uh, Southington, which is another beautiful facility. Sure. Wow, I had no idea. Um we're going to take a short break. Then we're going to get sure. back with my guest, Lori St. John. We're going to talk a little bit more about higher acuity patients. I want to get really back onto something she mentioned earlier, and that is the use of telemedicine in managing people at home. You're listening to Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080. We're back on Healthy Rounds. I'm your host, Dr. Anthony Alessi, and we're talking to Ms. Lori St. John. She is the Vice President of Hartford HealthCare Community Network, and we're talking about Hartford HealthCare at Home and home services. Lori, before the break, you, you talked a little bit about the increasing role of telemedicine um, mm -hmm. in uh, providing care for patients at home. Can you talk a little bit about how that's changed and how that's developed? Sure. So we've used telehealth for you know a long time, probably um, 15 years um, at Hartford Healthcare, and but during COVID, it really uh, we saw an increase. You know, many of our patients we did not want a lot of visits, understandably, because of COVID. So we would put the telehealth, and then we would use that to do visits as well. 
And as a result of that, we've really seen it um, taken off, even as, you know, we're, we're moving a little bit past COVID. Um, we've had a couple of uh, initiatives with our hospitals, with the Hartford Healthcare Hospitals, where we're actually taking patients home earlier in their hospitalization, COVID patients. We started with COVID patients. So three days earlier than we probably would have, they're still on oxygen. We bring them home. We set up telehealth. The hospitalist from the hospital has virtual visits with that patient for um, at least three days, longer if needed. The patient will transmit their vital signs, so their oxygen, their um, uh, blood pressure, their pulse three times a day, and the doctor will monitor that. They will also have daily nursing, and we've had great, great results with this. Um, very, very few rehospitalizations with these sick COVID patients. They've managed to get off oxygen um, very quickly, usually within three days. So we're seeing that kind of uh, use of the technology. Um, and a lot of it does have to do with COVID. It really just opened our eyes to um, what we could do with the technology. Laura, here's one of my pet peeves is the fact that Medicare is talking about stopping payment for telemedicine services. And um, I mean, I, I, I just find that to be a step backward. Um, you've already, you know, clearly stated how people have been able to avoid prolonged hospitalizations. Um, do you think that's going to happen where they're just going to stop paying for it? Um, Yes, I, I do, and um, some of it has happened. We were never paid for, I'm glad you brought this up, for telehealth by Medicare in the home care space. So we used it really for the quality of care for the patient. Um, even during COVID, we were not paid for that. Now, when our, our hospitalists, doctors, made virtual visits with telehealth, that was paid for for them, but it is, uh, it's been a bit of a pain point in home care that we're not paid for it. Medicaid, the state of Connecticut, does pay for it at this point. You know, it's interesting because I've been doing telehealth for an extended period of time. I tr primarily treat athletes, and, uh, you know, they're traveling around the country. So sometimes with different organizations, I would be doing using a telehealth platform uh, and uh, I was never paid for it. I mean, it just wasn't paid. Mm -hmm. They gave you codes that no one paid for. Uh, but I think it's important for our listeners to understand that, you know, this is going to be a crucial segment going forward for all healthcare payers to really understand, and especially Medicare. And I think um, we have to put some pressure on our elected officials uh, because that's that's going to make a big difference overall, as as you've mentioned already. Um, when you talk about higher acuity patients, we've talked about the respiratory patients, but what other patients are you taking care of that are in this higher level of acuity? Well, our, certainly our congestive heart failure patients, many of them, you know, are very sick. Um, and we, you know, consistently been taking care of them. Again, uh, COPD, diabetics, we, we see a lot of diabetics. And wound care, some of the wound care that we're taking care of is quite complex, um, requiring wound vacs, which is the type of um, technology for wounds. So uh, we are seeing it. And that's really a nationwide trend that people, sicker people, are being cared for in the home. Um, one of the things that I didn't talk about is we also do hospice in the home. And I, I, my background is as a hospice nurse. And I've often said, 
you know, we can pretty much do anything as long as we have that technology. We can do anything in the home. I I, I want to give a plug for hospice nurses because I I want people to understand that there's a special place in heaven for hospice nurses. Any of us who have had contact and had the need for a hospice nurse, it is a very, very special skill in medicine um, to be able to manage that. And I have the utmost respect uh, for people who work in hospice, especially uh, at home. And I think those listeners who have had to use those services certainly understand what what I'm talking about. Um, How much growth do you expect in the home care business? You mentioned the baby boomers, okay? But um, I, I just see this growth pattern just increasing as we move through to the point where um, I think it's going to be, you know, home care is going to be a really dominant force in how we're going to provide excellent care for our patients. Um, how are you folks looking at this and preparing for that deluge? I mean, I think we've already seen a lot of the growth, and I think, you know, there's still huge potential, especially for care of the sicker patients in the homes. I feel so fortunate to be part of the Hartford Healthcare system and have their support. And that's really allowed us to kind of bridge from the acute care setting to the home care setting and take care of those sicker patients. Um, You know, across the nation, as I said, the prediction is that more and more people will be cared for in their home. And I'm very confident that we can do it. How do people contact you and how do people get home care? I mean, I'm sure there are people listening, uh, especially about the independence at home uh, information. How, how do people get in touch with you um, who are listening? Uh, do they have to go through a doctor or can they contact you folks directly? How do they go about it? Well, most um, times we do hear from the doctor's office. But that doesn't have to be. We have a number, easy to remember, 1-800-HOME-CARE. So if someone were looking for um, information about how to uh, have home care come in, either the skilled home care or independence at home, all they would have to do is call that number, and they would be directed by our customer service. Um, Again, most of the physicians, if you're dealing with your physician, they certainly have our number. That's how most of our referrals come in, through that or from um, the hospitals or the many hospitals. Um, but if a person can just, you know, take it upon themselves to call, and we will give them that information. Lori, what's the one thing people should know today about home care um, who are sitting home and just hearing this for the first time? Uh, what would you say would be the concluding message, the one thing uh we need to get across to folks. Well, I mean, I just, I feel that it's been such a privilege. I've been doing this for 35 years. Um, And we, you know, we have um, done it well. We have great outcomes. Um, I know that some people were afraid of COVID now with the vaccinations, and we've been giving homebound vaccinations to our patients. Um, I don't think that's as much a fear, although home care has grown post-COVID. And I believe, again, it's people want to stay safely in their home. Um, and that's really our mission, to keep them safely in their home. Lori St. John, thank you. Thank you very much for spending time with us today and thinking about home care. And more importantly, thank you to you and your entire staff. 
for what they do in our community uh, to keep people healthy. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for having me. Some of the things we've been talking about, in addition to home care, in, in closing, a lot of people have a lot of questions about whether they need to wear a mask, not wear a mask, what's going to happen with people who lie, okay, and say they were vaccinated and they weren't and didn't wear a mask. You know, that's a real tough issue. But what's going to happen here is, is that there are going to be two populations. There's going to be a population of people who are protected against COVID. Those are the people who got the vaccine, fully vaccinated, won't get ill, and won't spread it. Then there's going to be another population, and that population are going to be the people who are infected. Those are the people who will be vulnerable to infection and severe illness. They will also be the people spreading the vac the infection. But there's actually a third group of people who don't necessarily have a voice. And those are the people who cannot be vaccinated. They don't have the option of getting a vaccine. And they are not the squeaky wheel. So I will be their squeaky wheel. These are patients of mine and many other physicians who have illnesses that require immunosuppression. They could be something as common as rheumatoid arthritis, other conditions, multiple sclerosis. Their treatment is to immunosuppress them. So therefore, if they got the vaccine, they could not generate enough of a, they cannot generate enough antibody. So we need to keep that in mind as we move forward to protect everyone. With that, thank you for your time today. I want to thank Anthony Dorenzo, who's been on the board, and obviously Jeff Chandler, who's in charge of sales and marketing for Healthy Rounds. Until next week, this is Dr. Anthony Alessi. Please stay healthy. This has been Healthy Rounds with Dr. Anthony Alessi, sponsored by St. Francis Hospital, Ratchford Eye Center, Hartford Healthcare, MD Advantage, and Yukon Health Orthopedics and Sports Medicine. Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 11 for more Healthy Rounds on WTIC News Talk 1080 and WTIC.com.